0: To another episode of the Air It Out podcast for Inside the Hashes, I am Juan Guarin. I'm joined by some contributors up in here. I got Jerome Jones in the studio for production, and I got Avery Collins as one of our commentators. What's up, guys? What's yeah. up? All right, yo, guys. So I'm not gonna lie to you. This weekend has been insane uh, in terms of contents, music, of tel- television, of movies. First off. Endgame is about to surpass surpass, uh, Avatar as the highest-grossing movie of all time. So I got to give a shout-out to Marvel for doing such a great job with the stories. Oh, yes.
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yes.
2: I got to give a shout-out to Zoe Saldana for being a part of the two highest-grossing movies in the history of the world. That's so true. Yo,
0: that's so true. And you know what's funny, though? Like, both Avatar and Endgame are owned by Disney. So no matter who comes out on top, they still made money.
1: (laughs) It's Disney, man. They ruined the world. They ruined Uh, the world.
0: Honestly, congrats to Endgame. It honestly deserves it in terms of being such a cultural phenomenon. I'm about to see it again tomorrow by myself, though. I'm going for it the second time, second time, because okay. I don't have time to see it the third
1: point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a three-hour movie, I mean. <laughs> I
0: know, but I'll watch it five times in a row if I have to.
1: That movie that is good. that good, though. It really is that good.
0: I'm seeing it by myself at a matinee at one o'clock tomorrow, just so, you know, a little treat myself sort of thing, you okay, know? Okay. I got the day off, I've been working five days straight, you know, I deserve a little me time, you know? Hey, everybody do. And then the the second thing we want to talk about, we were talking about this earlier, the release of the Homicide track by Logic and Eminem, two Spitfire artists coming together to collab on something that was beautiful and entertaining and just a joy to listen to, man. Like, I have a friend of mine at work, he can memorize, he can spit all of Eminem's lines, like, flawlessly in that song. Really? Yeah,
1: Interesting. I was
0: surprised because the song just came out and it already, it already has half the song down. Yeah, so it really it me. Creepy. Uh, dedicated. I'm gonna give it dedicated. <laughs> um, and the topic we're gonna talk about. I know you guys don't watch it, but I kind of have to acknowledge it because I don't watch it either. But I have to. The Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is. I watch it. What do you mean? I forget that you watch it. Neighbor. I don't watch
1: it. I'm the one. that don't watch it.
0: Listen. Me neither. I don't watch it either. But the I'm the most- only one. I think I don't think Chris yeah. was well, missing out. Well, with our resident Game of Thrones expert here, um, Avery, what do you got to tell me about the the final season? How are you feeling, man?
2: I am torn, man. It's like it's it's rough. It's again, never get attached to anybody when it comes to Game of Thrones, man. They don't <laughs> care about your
1: feelings. Uh-huh. <laughs>
2: But no, it's. I think. It, I think it's. They're they're doing it very well. I think that the way they set everything up has been flawless. Like I don't think there's been a miss at all yet. Um, I'm, I'm I'm extremely excited. There's uh, I think two or three more episodes left, and already I'm like, yo, I don't know how you're going to top this one, and um, how are you going to top the last one, and yada yada yada. So it's good, and um, I, I love the fact that they're really building. In uh, building stories and sticking with them, like, but at the same time, they're doing it so much so uh, the writing is so done, is done
0: so well that it's like a, a curveball, and you you're like I don't even know what to expect anymore. So I, I love it. Well, not everything was good in terms of entertainment that came out this week. For example, the trailer that came out for Sonic the Hedgehog. I know Jerome, you are a resident Nintendo uh, Nega Senegist fan. <laughs>
1: Sega Genesis, Um. (laughs) (laughs) Sega
0: (laughs) Genesis, sheesh. Um, but yeah, we were a little disappointed. I also grew up with Sonic, watching the cartoons on on TV and playing on my on my Game Boy, the game with it. I never had a GameCube growing up, funny enough. But I can respect like the amount of the the, the, legacy of Sonic Man. Gamecabs, huh? I had Gamecabs. What's Game? Mm -hmm. Oh
1: my! You remember
0: that? That is an out.
2: I'm, 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 I'm young. <laughs> There's no such thing as a Gamecast. Game.
0: <laughs> you made that up just
2: now? No, y'all never seen Mellow Boot. No, yeah, he's talking the about
1: Gamecast. Oh, yeah. If anybody, if anybody would know that, I thought he would know that. Right.
0: <laughs> I'm also, I'm, I'm an old soul in a young body. Oh Come man. On, man, it's B rad G for Mellow Boot, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough of the pop culture. Let's get down to business. Hit it up to the rundown. The rundown. All right, and the first order of business that we got today is 49ers and defensive tackle DeForest Buckner are in discussions for an extension, but both sides are far apart from a short sure deal. Per NFL.com, Buckner, a first-round pick from 2016 for San Fran, is set to make a base salary of $720,000 in 2019 and $14.3 million in 2020 under the fifth-year option. It seems like the Chicago Bears still have the ghost of Cody Parkey haunting the grounds of Soldier Field. Aside from having eight kickers try out by attempting a 43-yard field goal, the same one that Parkey missed in the wildcard round against the Eagles last year, and only two of those eight kickers actually made that field goal, by the way. Um, the Bears have also traded a conditional 2021 20, seventh round pick to the Raiders for kicker Eddie Pin- Uh The condition is that Paniro has to remain on the roster for at least five weeks in order for Oakland to receive that pick. Suspended wide receiver Marcavis Bryant is filing for reinstatement into the NFL per, per Bleacher Report. ESPN's Dan Graziano reported that Bryant has been arguing with the league that its drug program is not set up to offer players access to proper treatment for mental health issues. Bryant was last with the Oakland Raiders in December of 2018 before being indefinitely suspended by the league for substance abuse. Uh, In some breaking news, Bucks defensive end Jason Pierre-Paul was diagnosed with a season-ending neck injury after a one-car crash he suffered last week. Per Adam Schefter, J.A.P.P. was not cited for the accident and will visit next specialists to see if he can save even a small portion of his 2019 season. The Packers became the first team to sign the 2019 first-round pick as safety Darnell Savage signs his four-year four deal with a fifth-year option. Savage was drafted 21st overall, one of the Packers' two first-round picks alongside 12th overall pick edge rusher Rashawn Gary. In other news, Hall of Fame defensive end Gino Marchetti passed away at the age of 93. Marchetti played with the Dallas Texans and Baltimore Colts for 14 total seasons. Elected to 11 Pro Bowls and named the top defensive end in the NFL's first 50 years, Marchetti served in the U.S. Army during World War II in Europe. And finally, to end this on a lighter note, Uh, The Buffalo Bills have passed a new policy to try and curtail tailgate antics from Bills Mafia. The new policy would would require fans who arrive on buses and want to tailgate to purchase a package along with their parking pass. The team is creating a tailgate village, which will charge a 20-person vehicle $300, a 40-person vehicle $500, and $900 for 60 people. The charge breaks down to around 15 per person for fans that want to tailgate in the designated area. And that goes the rundown. Honestly, I'm a little disappointed by the Buffalo Bills for that, for that policy. I mean, the whole purpose that everyone even liked Buffalo in the, in the first place is for the table breaking, beard chugging, having sexual relations in and out of the stadium Bills market that we all loved on, on Barstool Highlights and the fifth year on Instagram.
1: Yeah, I mean, I get it, but at the same time, you gotta remember, like, it's all about safety, and they want to keep their fans safe, and you know, that deal. I mean, people getting drunk and getting hurt and stuff like that, and I, I feel like they don't want that on their premises. So, you know, if it's my, I mean, if it's my business and people's doing that on my, you know, on my premises, I wouldn't want that either. So, I, I think it makes sense. It's like the Eagles
0: throwing snowballs at Santa Claus. Ah. But, but, y'all
1: always bring it up. Y'all always bring it up.
0: <laughs> yeah, you did it. You did it.
1: <laughs> How many years ago? Anyway.
0: <laughs>
2: no, I was gonna say I agree. I mean, I, I it's 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 entertaining in, in a sense, but at the same time, it's just like at a at a point, grow up, yeah. and then it's just like you know, parents want to bring their kids to the game. You know, a father wants to bring his son to the game and get him into into the sport, And, you know, a uh, father bring his daughter or whatever. Um and so, you know, you don't, want to, you don't want to have to deal with that or the potential for, you know, something to go wrong in that area. So, you know, I, I understand why the Bills have done it, though um, so it is going to be disappointing, uh, essentially, for something.
0: Oh, oh, oh. to... Tracks is the one that's disappointing. Like, the side that would want to watch, like, reality TV stars kind of mess up their lives, that sort of thing, that's the part of me that's But I do agree with you guys in terms of the safety protocol and trying to ensure that fans... Have a good time. Um, but, you know, it won't be, maybe we'll lose the entertainment of the mafia, but once the season starts rolling, we'll actually get to see on field entertainment, especially from this class of rookie players. And right now, I'm looking through a lot of different websites in terms of their picks for who's going to win rookie of the year, both offensive and defensive player of the year. And it's not that much in variety that I've noticed. A lot of people have paid Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. And others have, have just been very in terms of Defensive Rookie of the Year. So I want to start off the conversation here with you guys. Jerome, let me start off with you, man. Who are your picks for Offensive and Defensive Rookie of the Year?
1: So offense, uh, offensively, I think that this guy is gonna, went to a great spot. Um, he's not going to be asked to be the number one receiver. He got a great quarterback. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I think it's just going to be DK Metcalf. I mean, um, he. I think that his stats, like, the reason why he kind of fell is because he's kind of a one-trick pony. Um, he's a physical um, player. He uh, got injured. He had a neck injury, so he didn't have too much um, game film. But I feel like with all the other pieces, even though um, – Doug Baldwin is um in retirement, but he don't have to go in and be the number one guy. They got Tyler Lockett, they got um, if Baldwin's there, um, they got a run. They, they're a run first team, and I feel like with DK being on the outside um, and Tyler Lockett being an inside and, and a slot, um, it's going to take a lot of pressure off of um, Tyler Lockett, um, and there's not going to be a whole bunch of um, double teaming him because of the. They're a run first team, and he's a big. He's a big wide receiver. He's gonna, you know, be do re- really well and run blocking as well. So I think that him being in Seattle is probably the best fit for him because, they, like I said, they got the quarterback, they got the running game. Um, you know, I wish their offensive line was a little bit better. Um, they did improve it though. So I think him for offense, and for me for defense, um, I had a couple of guys on here. Um, I was thinking maybe Josh Allen because he's going into a really good defense where he don't have to be that number one guy um, going off the edge. Um, They got great linebackers. They got great safe um, corners and safeties that will keep um, quarterbacks holding the ball longer so he can get to the quarterback. But I'm kind of thinking Nasser Adeli from um, Delaware State. Um, Nassir Adeli is in the perfect position where they got Derwin James. They got him. Um they got great corners, they got good pass rushers in um Nick Bosa and um uh, Marvin Ingram. So with him, all he have to do is be that, you know, last last defense, be um single hot safety, just you know, roam around and I, I think that's the best part for him, and I think that was a great fit for him. So, um uh, I'm gonna say necessarily.
0: Last time that we saw a wide receiver actually win rookie of the year was Odell Beckham Jr. in 2014. Ever since then, it's just been either a running back or a quarterback's so wide mm-hmm. receiver... Very hard position to actually win the awards. In Avery, what's your, what are your response, man? Real
1: quick before you before Avery go, the reason why I said that is because the the rookie quarterback class is not great, and I don't feel like any of the quarterbacks really got in a great position. Uh, maybe um, Haskins probably the best one, and I'm not really high on Haskins. And the running back rookie class is terrible. Like this year's running back class is bad. Um, there's a few guys that I think that's going to contribute really well, but, like, all the best running backs are not, like, number one guys. There's always somebody that's kind of with them, in my, okay. in my opinion. Go ahead. All right. Side.
2: Okay. All right. Uh, I, I can see where you're coming from. Um, for me, it's actually I, I wanted to go Dwayne Haskins only because I think he's going to come right in and start, right? So I think mm-hmm. he's going to have the most – Chances to be able to, you know, put his bid in for, um, you know, working in the year. Um, it's a good choice to go with DK as well because, you you know, um, obviously Russell needs more weapons outside of um, Doug Baldwin. I mean, you know, he's, he, I mean, I, I think he's going to be a, a, a pretty huge focal point. But, and then I actually, I almost wanted to go with um, Damien Harris. And, Harris go.
1: Go. Um,
2: and I wanted to go with him and maybe even nearly Harry. Um, but I'm like, No, so I think I'm actually leaning toward um, actually either Josh Jacobs because of the fact that he's going to be, um, like I said, I think he's going to be featured a lot more than people will really understand because I think John Gruden uh, is in a situation where he understands that he has to take pressure off of his quarterback. He understands that he still has to continue to build his defense. He still has a lot of different holes, so I think they're going to lean uh, very heavily on the run game right now, so I think that he has the potential um, to do very well as long as he, as he can stay healthy, but my pick is going to be Noah Finn. Um mm, I think dope. that Broncos um, did a very good job in picking uh, a tight end that will, will fit that system very well. Uh, we all know that just you know from the past, Joe Flacco does love tight ends. I know that the, excuse me, the Broncos did draft a quarterback, but I do believe that uh, Joe Flacco is going to be the starter week one. I think with that um, and the fact that, like I said, he is somebody who likes to throw to his tight ends, and then we can't really think of right now a, you know, uh, their number one receiver being some, you know, uh, take it off the top guy or somebody that is extremely threatening um, to defenses or anything like that. I think it's going to be no offense. Um, I think that uh, he, he's going to do very well, and I think he's going to show uh, that athleticism that we were uh, accustomed to seeing in Iowa. And in defensive, and in defensive, again torn. Um, I actually almost wanted to go Darnell Savage for Green Bay, um, just because I think it's a situation where again, uh, there's going to he's going to have a lot of opportunity to, to play. I think he comes right into play. I think with his speed and his ball skills, it, it bodes well for him to be able to, to possibly get a lot of interceptions. Um, and with the the issues that they have on defense, I think that. That could, you know, be be. I think teams are going to look at at that and be like, well, we're, we're going to try to throw the ball around on them because they know that the secondary is uh, pretty much the weakest part of their defense right now. So I think that he has a chance to really show his, um, you know, shows worth. But I'm going to go with my guy, which I said before, and I said it at the when we went live. I think it's going to be Devin White. Um, went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think he's filling. He's, he's got huge shoes to fill, of course. But because of the way he plays, I mean, the speed and the size, the, the physicality, uh, his instinct, I think Devin White has been put in prime position to go out there and really change the culture of not only the team, not only the defense, but the team in general, um, with what he brings to the table. So I think it's going to be Devin White
1: um, without question.
0: All right, well, Titan is number one offensive rookie of the year in the history of the award. He's either been a wide receiver, quarterback, or a running back. Even an
1: offensive lineman has won either drum. You had something you wanted to add? Yeah, um, I think I think what I was going to actually say exactly what you said was that um, the only reason I wouldn't say tight end is because tight ends don't normally get it. I don't think there ever have been one, I don't think, rookie of the year, tight nope. ends. Um, but um, I do agree with Avery, though. Like He's a really good candidate. That's actually a good answer because not only that Joe Flacco likes to throw to tight ends, but the Broncos organization love to have tight ends and they usually stack up on tight ends and they really value tight ends highly. Um, So when when they actually drafted him, I was like, wow, that's a really good pick. And nobody was really thinking about tight end because, you know, where they was at in the draft. But I thought it was a good spot for uh, Northam to go. um, And they love their tight end. So, thank you.
2: And what I would love to see is Uncle Shay come down and, and, you know, give him give him a couple pointers or two. Uh, Shannon Sharp,
1: come on down and
2: just, you know, just talk
0: to the young man. Give him a couple pointers. Yeah. Will Skip Bayless be behind him? Talking about
1: Cowboys, this Cowboys, that. Oh, God. Why would why, why, why we pin him on our pockets?
0: <laughs> with the upside, with the, with the upside of, of rookies comes the downfall of veterans, gentlemen. And the, as we know, the draft is meant to replace veterans, whether aging or dysfunctional in general. And, you know, I have a list here already of, of people affected by by the draft. Solomon Thomas, Joe Flacco, James White, Andy Dalton, Tyler Eifert, Lashawn McCoy, Jordan Howard, and Kyle Rudolph. A lot of them affected by the NFL draft. But I want to ask your guys' opinion: Which veteran? Two, it's a two-part question. First part: Which veteran was affected most by the draft, either positively or negatively? And who's going to lose their job? Uh, Avery, start off with you, man. Um,
2: I'm going to give a couple of answers here. Um, so first, I think the one that's affected or I'll start back with the one who's going to lose their job. Um, I think it's going to be Eli Manning. Mm. I I believe that he ends up losing his job um, if they come out to a bad start, um, especially like I, I think if they in the first six games, they have to go 500 or better for him, not for him to keep his job. And if that doesn't happen, which I'm not foreseeing it happen, Um, But if it it doesn't happen, I think that uh, Daniel Jones ends up coming in and taking over because we all know how New York uh, media is. We know how the fans are. They get very restless. Uh, They understand that, you know, you got somebody like Saquon Barkley last year. The window for running backs is very short. You want to capitalize on that as much as possible, as soon as possible. I think he's probably the best all-around back in the league right now. Um, and I just think that with what, what they have, um, I think that you, 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 again, you might see, um, a shift there. I think, um, and then it kind of coincides with the, the question with, you know, who was affected, you know, negative, negatively. Um, I think that, yeah, it was, again, the one that takes the cake for me is, uh, Eli Manning. Um, just because of that, it's, it's putting a lot of pressure on him, um, and at his age and with the issues that they still have on the offensive line, um, the fact that Demi Jones is way more athletic than Eli is and ever was, um, kind of gives, uh, the only advantage that Eli has is the fact that he's a veteran, right? The fact that he's a veteran, the fact that he's a two-time, uh, Super Bowl winning, uh, quarterback, all of those things, like those things are advantages, but the other things, kind of, for me, outweigh the fact that he's younger. He's got younger legs. He's more athletic. He's obviously going to be the quarterback of the future. They took him in the first round um, in the top ten. So, I think that is a situation where he could possibly lose his job. Yep, yep. Um, and that's, I'll, I'll leave it at that.
0: All right. your po- what are your thoughts,
1: man? All right. So, for the person I think that's going to lose a job, is Flacco? I mean, that's more the obvious choice, but I think that Flacco can definitely lose his uh, position to Drew Lock. I mean, Drew Lock is a really high, you know, um, sought out quarterback. Um, and I think that if Flacco starts um, flowing in his game, I think that he has probably the most pressure out of anybody right now. I mean, he's a new—he's—he's going to be new to the system, so that's a, that's a down thing to for him. Um, he, yes, he is a veteran, but he didn't play, he didn't play that well. He did. Okay. Actually, he played well last year, but he got injured. So if there's an injury or something like that, you know, um, Drew Lot is going to be in there and the organization already said how much they liked Drew Lot before even the, the draft even started. So you know how much they love this quarterback already. If he starts like not performing well, I think he's in a hot seat right now. Um, for two guys – I'm going to pit two guys because – and I'm going to say because I'm an Eagle fan too, Two guys that I think are, are in jeopardy of their position or might lose some um, playing time, Jordan Howard um, because the Eagles got Miles Sanders. And I think Miles Sanders fit our offense a little bit better than um, Jordan Howard. Jordan Howard's a really good running back. He's going to be great for us. But I think that if Miles Sanders actually comes on, um, he, he might take some spots. Um and then uh, I'm
0: gonna say, um, for those of you wondering what that noise is, we are just been joined by our other resident contributor, Chris Thomas, into the podcast. Come on, jump in here making all that noise!
1: I know. You know? I'm trying to make a point. <laughs> all right. Anyway, uh, Nelson Aguilar will be the next person. Uh, I think that um, with JJ, um, JJ. <sighs> Whiteside, whatever, however you say his name. J.J. Whiteside. I'm just going to say J.J. Whiteside. I think that picks Nelson Aguilar on that high spot, and I think that he might um, he might be in jeopardy of losing his spot in the slot right now just because of him. I mean, because uh, now we got Deshaun Jackson. He's going to be more of a speeder kind of guy. Um, and then I'm going to put a little dark court. I'm going to throw one more person in here, and that's I'm going to pick oh, Andy Dalton. Um, everybody already was saying how much he been to this uh, organization that he haven't been playing to that high expectation that he was. And I think with them getting uh, Ryan Finley and he's really a really a dark horse um, quarterback. And if he learn, if somehow he learns how to get that playbook in really fast, he might threaten uh, Andy Dalton
2: just real quick and just kind of sticking with the Eagles because I, I was almost leaning toward this one, but I, I think it's more so a health thing than it is a actual play thing. I think Jason um, Jason Peters needs to watch out as well, but I think that's more a health thing than it is a play thing, which is why they really choose him yeah. because if he can stay healthy, he's clearly the guy that you would rather have on the field over A.J. Diller, but obviously, like, if you know, if he gets hurt, you know, he, he might, it, that might be the end for him. Um, so, you know, just wanted to throw that out there as well. All
0: right. You joined the podcast a little bit, but I'd love to hear your insight on it. Your pick on what veteran was affected most by the draft.
3: Um, the, I think the vet that was probably most affected by the draft is, in uh, my opinion, Lions Matthew Stafford. Um, when you think about uh, this draft, it wasn't particularly strong. Uh, quarterback class obviously you have to reach for Daniel Jones at six. Uh Dwayne Haskins fell into Washington's lap. Um and you look at this draft next year with Jake Fromm, uh Tool from Alabama, Justin Herbert, um just a plethora of like franchise caliber quarterbacks are coming out um, next season. Probably the biggest and probably like best class that we've seen in I nine mean, packs is two thousand and twelve. Um uh, with the Detroit, you obviously you have Matthew Stafford, um when you look at all these deals now that all these quarterbacks are getting like A-Rod, uh, Russell Wilson, potentially Dak Prescott, and uh, Carson Wentz are coming up next. His deal isn't bad. However, staffy has been the quarterback there for over a decade. Detroit's never won the NFC North, and they've only been to the playoffs three times. And they've lost every single time they've been to the playoffs. So, to me, I think it's only a matter of time of how long can – I really put my faith into Matthew Stafford, especially if you're Matt Patricia. Before I need a I need a scapegoat in terms of getting a younger quarterback to move along with. Obviously, you saw last year they moved off from Golden Tate, uh, they moved off from Eric Braun and you see this offense is slowly um, transitioning more into a younger into a younger team. Kenny Galladay, uh, EJ Henderson, Kerryon Johnson. And you possibly want a franchise quarterback, a younger franchise quarterback to, you know, take over this team going forward. So, um, my opinion, Detroit, Matthew Stafford better look out because if these guys, if Detroit picks in top ten, then they might be looking at a new quarterback. What happened in this year's draft that, that made you feel that he's the most threatening of this coming season? Um, I'm just looking at the NFC North. Um, obviously, got yes, Chicago. I don't think Chicago's twelve and four, but you have to really think that they're going to be still a playoff team, even with the loss of uh, Fangio. That defense is still a monster. Mixture basically is going in a second year under Matt Nagy. The Vikings had the the, the safest pick um, at number eighteen, um, improving their offensive line, but, and you still got Kirk Cousins. And think about it, two years. This is a roster still two years removed from being in the NFC title game under uh, Case Keenum. And you got to think that if Aaron Rod gets 16 games, uh, Matt LaFleur gets 16 games out of Aaron Rodgers, you got to think that they're going to be well into the playoff mix as well. And then there's just Detroit. In that weird purgatory stage, of that, they're not going to be good enough to legitimately compete for a playoff spot, but they're also not good enough to literally probably be one of the worst teams in the league. And uh, get like a get me in position for one of those top quarterbacks. So it's almost been over 10 years for uh, Matthew Stafford. So I, that, that's hot. That clock is ticking.
0: All right, guys. Well, with the discussion, I'm finished. We're going to have to move on to our final topic of the day. It is. A controversial one, but who are we to this different controversy on the Air. Now podcast? Of course, we are talking about the Tyreek Hill domestic violence situation. Just a little bit of a TLDR of it. Uh, Tyreek Hill was under investigation concerning child abuse concerning his three year old son. Uh, his son had a broken arm, but the DA of Kansas City pr- uh, couldn't prove that either Hill or his fiance, Crystal, did anything wrong. And an audio recording between uh, Hill and Crystal was released to the public by the media, and the audio featured graphic language, including outlining, including outlining specific instances of child abuse committed by both parties. An allegation that Hill was the offender who broke the child's arm, and Hill saying to Espinal that she should, like uh, her son, fear him. It's just a whole situation that there's so many details all over the place, so many responses. It's just so hard to keep track of what's real and what isn't. Um, and, we, of course, we here at the AirDot Podcast are no strangers to controversy and talking about controversy, so I want to throw the discussion out here to Chris Thomas first. Chris, your thoughts, please.
3: Re- regardless of the actions of what may or may uh, were conducted from Nantariga, this is completely unacceptable and uh, something the NFL shouldn't ignore, uh, me and Avery have speak about this I'm at nausea right now about the NFL is not, doesn't hold the highest standard when it comes to, uh, conduct and morality. But in the end, a three-year-old child got his arm broken regardless of who was responsible. If, even if, um, Tariq Hill was quote-unquote set up, a three-year-old child's arm is broken, that's still completely and utterly unacceptable. And even still that, that still follows under the guidelines of negligence, in my honest opinion. Uh I still think, um, regardless of, obviously, you, in this case, is are still uh, guilty and too proven innocent. But I still think until like we get like legitimate information, I don't think Tariq Hill should be playing this season. Um, if he were to do it, then I really think that the NFL should finally, you know, this is exactly the line that shouldn't be crossing the, crossing the NFL. This is the one in which you should not get a second chance from. I'm all for second chances if 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 conduct was um, only more or less harm to yourself, my like drunk driving, everybody um, deserves a second chance. But when you're doing conduct in terms of harming somebody else, especially in that regards, then I just think it's completely irre- irreversible in my opinion. Something needs to get done. And all right. Honestly, I'm just kind of sick of it. I I don't know if I agree with the latter
2: part of that conversation um, as far as, like, this being something that is not for doable, especially when you brought up the whole drunk driving thing. I mean, Dante Stallworth got drunk and killed somebody. He didn't break anybody's arm. He took somebody's life. He took somebody's child. He took somebody's possible parent, somebody's brother, somebody's sister, whatever. Like, he killed somebody that's something for me where I would say that's something where you shouldn't get a second chance in the NFL more importantly 30 days uh, in jail is the that's the extent of the, the what the law enforcement did um, as opposed to somebody like Classico who, who shot himself and had to do time over a year in jail or Mike Vick who allows dogfighting to you know, you know happen on one of his one of his properties and he had to do uh, about two years in jail but we're talking about and they all got second chances but we're talking about somebody potentially we don't even know if it's the truth but potentially breaking someone's arm um and then not that not being a forgivable offense uh, so I don't agree with that all but I agree with the, the the first part where uh it's unacceptable regardless like i I just don't I don't like it I don't like any part of it um one thing i will say is like i'm not against disciplining your kids like straight up and down i've said it before i'll say it again i think that that is um something that's needed uh according to my belief system um i don't think that it should be a situation where you're breaking a kid's arm of course but uh you know to so for example a situation with uh adrian peterson i had no issue with what adrian peterson did he was disciplining his child in the the way that one, he probably got disciplined as as a child, and two, he didn't go outside of the the bounds of what I would consider to be child abuse. Now, you know, to Chris's point, again, you breaking a three year old's arm, that's without question child abuse. Child abuse, and like he said, negligence. Um, so I think that that definitely has to be taken care of. But uh, as far as him not getting a second chance, um, I wouldn't say that because I look at it in this regard. Um, A lot of the time, would this be as big as it is if his name was not Tyreek Hill? If his name was Joe Schmo from you know uh, uh, from Louisiana and nobody knew about this guy, would this be as big as a deal? Would this have been turned into some nationwide controversy? No, he'd have got a slap on the wrist and everybody would have kept it moving. And that's, that's, that's that's the situation. But because these guys are put in the spotlight and different things like that. It's just like we hold them to some different type of standard where it's just like they are still humans. I understand they have a bigger responsibility because the spotlight is on them, but at the end of the day, like, we got to stop acting like these people aren't humans and can't make mistakes um, and don't have, uh, you know, backgrounds and and different demons that they fight with and deal
3: with as well. So that's just my take on it. Chris? I understand the um, human emotion um, aspect from it because in the heat of the moment everybody does stupid things but uh, as far as that point goes in terms of Adrian Peterson and Tariq Hill's case a three year old child doesn't know the difference between right and wrong so therefore striking a child especially that being that young or disciplining them that young it, it doesn't make it right because they're not old enough to comprehend the, the concept of morality of right and wrong and if anything if it was to your point about them being Joe Schmo from Louisiana, it it, it would have been probably an open and shut case for the NFL. The NFL is always a bottom line league. Can you? What can you do in the end, regardless of your actions, no matter how egregious they are? Can you help me win football games? We all saw what happened with even with Adrian Peterson. He still got the opportunity to still play in the NFL because he could, it's still a bottom line league. He still had the opportunity to help Washington win some games of uh, in any other situation which michael vick coming out of prison we've seen multiple people who you know was coming out of that system struggle to readapt into society because of how hard because of that stigma coming out of prison meanwhile michael vick gets a job uh within a few weeks getting out from andy Reid to come to philadelphia because they still are a believer of his athletic ability to help win football games Mm -hmm. Even if Tariq Hill gets blacklisted for, let's just say, like for a season, he's still going to get opportunities because the fact that he runs mid-1440 and he's an all-pro in uh, terms of kick returning and wide receiver. So he's still going to help that bottom line for teams, for general managers, for head coaches to help them win football games. So in my honest opinion, it's not – for people like Tariq Hill, it's – they're still going to get second opportunities whereas as opposed for other guys who aren't in spotlights, who are just average Joes. Like if a neighbor down my street does the same thing, he's going to get jail. he's going to go to jail, and he's going to get locked away, and we're not going to hear about that. All right, Jerome,
0: you got
1: something to say? Yeah, um, real quick, I just wanted to say that I think the only reason, not the only reason, but I think a main reason for this story for Tyreek Hill is getting so big is that he had a track record before he came into the league which kind of pushed him to the fourth round he was projected to go to the first round uh he could have been a first round wide receiver but he got pushed to the fourth round because he had domestic violence um, issues in before this uh situation so i think that that kind of fa- that factors into what's going on with him right now as well
2: i think that definitely factors in i think that is a uh you know a, a, a something that we definitely should you know think about but again the other things that we should think about are one, again, the age of these guys, like, again, we, my, my thing is, it's like, we're, it's like, we have to understand that change doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time, right? It happens daily. It's a daily work in progress and it's something that happens over time. And if you're not surrounded by by the right people, like kind of, uh, essentially to Chris's point where the NFL being a, a bottom line league, um, if you're just out there producing in the field, what makes them? What would make them think that there's anything wrong? What would make them think that there's anything else that we need to do? Because all we want you to do is go out there and play for us. So we're not going to surround you by, with the right people. We're not going to do anything. That's why I appreciated what the Dallas Cowboys did for Des Bryant. They were like, "Look, we're going to put you on a curfew. We're going to have somebody with you 24/7 that's going to help you with the through your struggles and the, your, your, your different uh, um, issues that you're going through." And look at what it's done for Des Bryant. So. For me, like, I, I think, and to, you know, back to, to what Chris was saying, like, yeah, of course, they're going to get these second chances. Your point was that you don't feel that they should, you or you feel that this is an egregious act that they shouldn't. And I'm saying, it's like, to me, it's just like, again, for why is it that this is something that you feel that you know, there shouldn't be a second chance, or why is it that any of this stuff that happens is, is like, for me, unless somebody dies, In my head, and this is not just like it's just not. This is obviously there's more that goes into this, but in my head, unless somebody dies, it's like everybody deserves a second chance. And the reason I say that is because the person who died doesn't get that second chance. That's the reason. So it's just like you always have a chance. Whenever you're breathing air into your lungs, you have a chance to recover. You have a chance to recuperate. You have a chance to come back. So why not give and afford those people that opportunity to do so? So that's just that's just me.
0: Um, But, you know Well, I know everyone's had their side to say about this I guess I want to give my little nugget of it too Um, So, uh, Jerome knows knows this I released an article earlier earlier last week uh, uh, Called the NFL's domestic violence problem isn't going away We all know that the NFL has had an issue With players being violent towards other people off the field Whether it's towards women, towards children, or other men in general Domestic violence is a major issue within the NFL, and not only seeing someone uh, commit the crime and then not pay for it in terms of jail sentence or loss of some sort of of financial loss from the team, but they also get second chances uh, from other teams. Take, for example, um, Rocky Bernard, a defensive tackle that was with... Um, the Seahawks from 2002 to 2008. At a Seattle nightclub, he punched his ex-girlfriend and the mother of his child. Struck her so hard that her head bounced off a glass divider. And since she was afraid that this 300-pound behemoth was going to kill her, the victim and her friend fled the nightclub and into a friend's car. She was released the next year by the Seahawks and then picked up and signed to a four-year, $16 million deal by the New York Giants. And then he went on to win Super Bowl. The Super Bowl with him in 2011. Or what about offensive tackle Cornell Green? Um, him and the mother of his two children got into an argument, uh, where he slapped her against the wall. Well, slammed her against the wall. Uh, he, he struck the mother of his children in the arm with an aluminum mop handle. He was eventually arrested in Tampa uh, by at the international at the Tampa International Airport. Not only was he not suspended. Um, but he was also signed to the Buffalo Bill, Bills after he was released by the Oakland Raiders, and the list goes on. These are like the the, the the countless names. The list is just is staggering. It is honestly staggering. Chad Johnson, Ray Rice, Ray Lewis, Amon Green, Quincy Nunwa, Antonio Brown, Be- Brandon Marshall, Ruben Foster, Greg Hardy. When does it end? It 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 just doesn't seem like a problem that the NFL is willing to willing to address enough to make it go away nor is it enough to just end it. Yeah, Avery.
2: Just one quick point on that. I think that we also, again, we got to stop holding him to this morale standard. Number two, we got to understand that it's not, it's the NFL's responsibility to stop it from happening within their organization. It's not the responsibility from stopping it from happening at all. And that's the thing that I think people are missing here is it's like these guys are these are individual cases. It's not everybody in the league that's doing this. These are individual cases, and they are, again, they're they're people. So it's just like whether they were in the NFL or not, they probably would be doing these things. So I understand where everybody's coming from. The NFL definitely has to take a stand and regulate it within their organization. But at the same time, it's kind of like I think there, there has to be uh, uh, a little bit of onus, um, not only on the players but on the fans as well, to be able to say, like, how are we supposed to know that this guy is going to punch his girlfriend in the face, right? Like so, Or, or his wife in the face or whatever, the situation, and vice versa. So it's, it's, it's a touchy subject, but I, I agree. I don't think it's ever going to end, um, and that's, that's, that's the sad part
0: about it. Well, with this, I just want a really quick response from all three of you, if you choose to answer or not. Um, will we actually see a response by the NFL against Tyreek Kill?
3: Uh, Chris, with you. I think when the NFL, when the NFL finally gets enough evidence to the point where they can actually you know put a proper response together and uh, do their due diligence and you know I, I think then that's when you're there a response all I'm saying is that you you've seen these cases um, obviously we've heard um, Juan just skip, won't spout out all these cases ray rice um, Greg Hardy, all these instances and they've getting second chances. But here's my thing. They, those are all those guys get second chances, but in my opinion, guys like Josh Gordon, Martius Ryan, Ricky Williams, all those guys were blacklisted from the league because because of uh, because of marijuana. But you be able to just not i just sort but constantly commit conduct domestic violence constantly over and over again still get an opportunity exactly. It's an issue that has been plagued for the years, and it's like the NFL is just so um, six feet under deep in the water that they still not only understand, and it's kind of too much for them to pull themselves out of the water now.
2: Okay. Right, every uh, level. real quick, I think it's just a situation when the details come out, if they ever do. Yeah. Uh, I think regardless of if, he, if he's innocent or not, I think the NFL will try to make a stand, so I do believe that a some sort of suspension is coming, and after which we all agree he'll probably get a second chance just because of what he does on the football field. Well, final
1: thoughts? Um, I totally agree. I just think that once they get all their information out, I think they will uh, address it. All
0: right. Well, until, until that happens, the, we will be active in tracking the Tyreek Hill situation as to whether or not he'll play at the NFL. We're not – But with that, we're going to have to end on this somber note, the Air It Out podcast. Uh, Once again, you can listen to us on our website at InsideTheHashes.com. Our online presence is vast. We are on Facebook with InsideTheHashes. On Twitter, we are at InsideHashes. And on Instagram, we are at InsideTheHashes. I'm Juan Boreen for Avery Collins, Chris Thomas, and Jerome Jones. Thank you for listening to the Air It Out podcast. We will see you all next time.